0: The 23rd Psalm Yahweh is my shepherd I shall not want He makes me lie down in green pastures He leads me beside still waters He restores my soul He leads me in paths of righteousness For His namesake Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of Yahweh forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Holy Father, forgive us your sheep, for when we stray. Forgive us for when we are more about what comes from your hand than the hand that gives. And we thank you that even when we are bad, you remain good. May our hearts rejoice in your shepherding this morning. In the name of Christ, Amen. Here, the shepherd speaks as a sheep. Whenever Samuel was sent to anoint the king, the one who was said to be a man after God's own heart... He went to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, as instructed. You remember, seven of Jesse's sons were made to pass before Samuel. And Samuel replied that the Lord has not chosen any of these, asking, do you have any more sons? And Jesse replied, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. Remember, it was a later incident. Whenever David is also keeping the sheep, but he's being sent from doing such to take provision to his brothers, and having found them, he finds the giant Goliath taunting the army of Israel. David is willing to take up the challenge. Word is passed along to Saul, and Saul inquires about David, and David tells him, your servant used to keep sheep. For his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. Prior to reading it more closely this time, I've always thought that there was a lion and a bear, two incidents. This was a repeated thing. This uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Yahweh who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. The shepherd was shepherded. As he protected sheep, Yahweh protected him. But here, in this psalm, David isn't speaking as a shepherd of Israel. He's speaking as a needful lamb, extolling his shepherd. And so because this is so, we need to read this psalm a little bit differently than all the psalms of David that we've dealt with up to this point. At least most of them. Most of the psalms we've encountered to this point we've seen David speaking as Israel's king, as the shepherd of Israel. Here, he speaks as a lamb. He doesn't speak so much as a type of Christ, anticipating Christ, as he speaks of Christ and to Christ. I believe this psalm is to be read in a similar vein as that of the 110th psalm, where we see David say, Yahweh said to my Lord, the one who was to be David's son, but greater than he, his Lord. Yahweh said to my Lord, and so here too, David speaks not as king, but he speaks of the king greater than he. Here he speaks to the shepherd greater than he. When David speaks as king, the most important question we can ask ourselves regarding application is, as he's anticipating Christ, is this my king? This makes the difference between being one of the choir, being led by the king to sing the praises of Yahweh, and being one of those enemies he speaks of being destroyed. Is this my king? But here, the important question to ask is, is this my shepherd? David speaks as a lamb, and my two, one of his lambs. Is this my shepherd? But more of that shortly. First, let's get a lay of the land before us. There are two ways to draw borders on the landscape of the 23rd Psalm we can do it either by metaphor or by the type of address that David assumes. If by metaphor, he speaks of Yahweh as shepherd in verses 1 through 4, and Yahweh as host in verses 5 through 6. If we're talking about the type of address he uses, you notice that he's speaking of Yahweh in verses 1 through 3, and he's speaking to Yahweh in verses 5-6. through It transitions from proclamation to men to praise uplifted to God. What's important to notice is as you move from his proclamation to his prayer, this is a prayer of praise. It's entirely absent of petition. There is no plea here. So often as we've been reading these psalms of David as king, there have been pleas. But here as he's speaking... First of his God, and then to his God. There's not an element of petition or plea in here at all. And that's why some have categorized this psalm as a psalm of confidence. It is a declaration of trust and faith in God. Even so, I think the best way to unpack this psalm is according to metaphor. And so that's how we'll proceed. First, Yahweh is my shepherd. And so again, can you sing this psalm? Is he your shepherd? I fear that too many who are dogs, who are pigs, who are goats, think that they can sing this psalm. And that's so because too many who are not shepherds but wolves in sheep's clothing have led them to believe that they can sing this song. They've led them to believe that they are a sheep whenever they are nothing but a goat. And on the day whenever the chief shepherd appears and separates the sheep from the goats... Many who expected to be in the sheepfold will instead hear, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So, how is it that David then can so confidently assert, Yahweh is my shepherd? How do you know he is your shepherd? Yahweh is my shepherd. And I think the key lies in the name that David uses. Yahweh is my shepherd. I will not tire of telling you the importance of seeing the name of God where you see all caps Lord or all caps God in your Old Testament. It's a name that's a poor substitute for what is in Hebrew clearly a name, not a title. It's the name that He gave His people that they might know Him. Yahweh. Realizing the importance of the name of Yahweh in the Old Testament prepares you to recognize the name of Jesus, Yeshua, Yahweh saves in the New Testament because there is salvation in no other name. And that precedence is set from the very beginning. There is a name in which God is known, that He reveals Himself in covenant to His people, and their salvation nowhere else. Salvation comes by not, not by some vague belief in God or a Lord, but in the one true triune God, Yahweh, who has revealed Himself in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. Yahweh is this covenant name given to His covenant people and they enter into that covenant by grace. How is it that you can say He's my shepherd? Because He graciously enters into covenant with you. God doesn't choose the best sheep because they've distinguished themselves. This is not a livestock option where God paid a premium price to buy the premium sheep. In Deuteronomy 7, he tells Israel, It was not because you were more in number than any other people that Yahweh set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. It's not because of you. Why then did he love them and choose them? That's the... What he's dealing with here. Why did he love them and choose them? But it is because Yahweh loves you. Why does he love them? Because he loves them. He's not compelled by anything outside of him. It's not because of you. I love you because I love you. He's free and sovereign and he sets his love and he goes on, I love you. It's because Yahweh loves you and is keeping the oath, covenant, that he swore to your fathers that Yahweh brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery. Why has God delivered us? Why has God redeemed us? It's not because we were such prized livestock. It isn't that the sheep woo the shepherd. What a sheep! The shepherd freely chooses the sheep, independent of anything in them. It's not that the sheep find the shepherd, the shepherd finds the sheep. Luke tells us of an instance whenever the tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to Christ, and that the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And you remember the parable Jesus told? What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. So too, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. For those sheep who think they've distinguished themselves, they're most likely not a sheep. Because the joy of heaven's salvation comes upon those who were clearly lost and found by the shepherd. There is a flock given to Jesus by his Father. And Jesus lays down his life for his sheep. And he will get every one for whom he died. He will not lose one. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. And he goes on to explain to those who do not believe in him, telling them, You do not believe because you are not my sheep. Notice he didn't say, You're not my sheep because you don't believe. The reason you don't believe, the reason you don't hear, is because you're not a sheep. If you were a sheep given to me by my Father, you would hear. He goes on, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they Follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. As sinners, we are all helplessly lost, unable and unwilling to hear. But those graciously chosen by the Father in covenant love hear His voice and they follow. And so I plead with you, if you're here this morning and you're hearing of the shepherd who laid down his life for the sins of his flock and you think you hear the shepherd's voice calling you to believe and trust Him and that He will bring you into His sheepfold, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And if he is then your shepherd, know this, you will not lack. Towards rightly understanding that phrase, remember it's David who's speaking here. David who lived hunted by Saul for so many years, running from place to place throughout the wilderness. David, who once he's established as king, was attacked again and again by his enemies such that we read in the Psalms, he's crying out to God for deliverance. David, who had to flee Jerusalem because his son Absalom led a rebellion against him. This is no prosperity gospel, health and wealth, name it and claim it, gab it and grab it, sugar daddy in the sky contentment. What we see here is a trust and confidence in a shepherd, not simply because of blessing, but even in the face of discipline and trial. The following Verses tease out why it is that the sheep doesn't want Yahweh being a shepherd. First, because the shepherd makes him to lie down in green pastures and leads him beside still waters, verse 2. And whenever you read this, don't think of the vast and lush landscape of Scotland and this rotund, fluffy sheep. Picture the barren, destitute Judean wilderness where shepherds were relegated to. The good land was farmland. Shepherds grazed their sheep elsewhere. But if you had a wise shepherd, a good shepherd, he knew where water gathered. He knew where there were these little oases and pockets of green pasture to get his sheep to. The shepherd knows how to get his flock to such. But whenever we read this, it's easy to forget what he must lead them through to get them to these green pastures and these still waters. We're told that Paul strengthened the saints and encouraged them, telling them that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of heaven. Even so, from here to there, our Good Shepherd provides manna for the journey through the wilderness. One such green and less pasture is the assembly of the saints on the Lord's Day to revel in the resurrection of Christ. We feast on Christ as He's presented to us in His Word and sacrament. We mustn't forget though, That on this day we partake of our Christ and we celebrate, but we do so while remaining in the midst of a cursed earth that is fading away. Second, David doesn't want because the shepherd restores his soul and leads him in paths of righteousness. Restore here most often carries this idea of bringing back in the the sense of correction and discipline, that repentance is the flip side of God's restoring, that it's brought about a repentance. The idea could simply be restoring that which has been destitute. But it most often carries this idea of discipline. The same word is used in Hosea 14.1 in this way. Return, that's the word you have as restore here. Return, O Israel, to Yahweh your God for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. You see how it fills out this meaning that the returning is a kind of repentance. And that, that... That act, as God is doing it from God's side and bringing them back, is restoration. These go together. I think both ideas are intended here. If you look back, this leading beside still waters has that idea of restoring, refreshing, reviving. And as you look forward to the shepherd's staff, there's the idea of correction. But because of what's most immediately coupled with it, I think the idea of correction is chiefly in view. And then you recognize that whenever God corrects His Lamb, it's bringing them back to Himself, the waters of life that restore, refresh, and revive. So it's not one or the other then. But here's the next part that I think fills out how we're to understand this. Being restored, He is led in paths of righteousness. The kind of health that's envisioned for God's lambs here is clearly holiness of soul and not wholeness of body. The kind of health that's put forward for God's lambs is holiness of soul, not healthiness of body, and this phrase, being led in paths of righteousness, I think helps you to rightly understand what are the green pastures and what are the still waters that he leads his sheep to. In Psalm 19, David sings, the law of Yahweh is perfect, reviving the soul. The rules of Yahweh are true and righteous altogether. Or another psalmist, please How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander. Do you hear? Keep his way, path, pure, not wander. Shepherd me, lead me. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Man shall not live by bread alone. What sustains the sheep? The Word of God. And why does the shepherd do this? Verse 3, for his namesake. It's not because we're such cute little lambs. God's shepherding doesn't speak to how amazing His sheep are, but to how amazing the shepherd is. His shepherding does not ultimately communicate the value of the sheep, it communicates value to the sheep. It doesn't communicate how valuable the sheep are, it communicates the value of His name that He places on His bride, His flock. John Piper asked, the acid test of biblical God-centeredness and faithfulness to the gospel is this. Do you feel more loved because God makes much of you or because God at the cost of His Son enables you to enjoy making much of Him forever? Does your happiness hang on seeing the cross of a Christ The cross of Christ as a witness to your worth or as a way to enjoy God's worth forever? Is God's glory in Christ the foundation of your gladness? You see, whenever God found us, we were mangy, diseased, and wild sheep. To boot, we were roadkill, dead in our trespasses and sins. He did not purchase us at so high a cost because we were glorious. He purchased us at so high a cost because He is glorious. And we had blasphemed His holy name. And when He died to pay for us, that was representing the wages of our debt, of our sin, and blaspheming His great name. And then He washes us clean he makes us new. He makes us glorious, reflecting His glory for His name's sake. God does not lead His sheep to the shallow pool of self, but to the depths of Himself, because only there can our hearts find satisfaction. In Ezekiel 36, God commands His prophet to tell His wayward people, Thus says the Lord Yahweh, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act. It is not for the, it is, but is for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am Yahweh, declares the Lord Yahweh when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. Well, in what way will God vindicate His holiness? When we read Ezekiel, He's already vindicating it by disciplining them. What He's promising here is that He'll vindicate His name in amazing grace and mercy. He says, I will give you a new heart. What a contrast. It's not for your sake. You've blasphemed my name. And I'm going to vindicate it. How? I'll give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove my heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. This is how He leads us in path of righteousness. A new heart that is soft towards the Word of God. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. And you shall be my people and I will be your God and I will deliver you from all your uncleannesses. And I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. I will make the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field abundant that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good and you will loathe yourselves for your iniquities and your abominations. It is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord Yahweh. Let that be known to you. The shepherd saves his sheep for the sake of his name, And remember that this name Yahweh, the great I Am, reveals not only as the I Am, the one who has aseity of himselfness, self-existence, and thus eternality and immutabilities without change. And, And also with all this, he's incomprehensible and he's eternal and he's the sovereign one. But not only does his name mean these things, but he told Moses, this is also what my name means. That I am a God merciful and gracious slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. How is it that Him showing such mercy to Israel vindicates His name? Because His name says He's the covenant Lord of His people. And that because He is their shepherd, they shall not want. The shepherd not only leads them in paths of righteousness, he leads them through the valley of the shadow of death. The way to green pastures often lies through dark valleys. Which one of us saints who have truly tasted that Yahweh is good will not say that we have drunk most deeply and found the deepest satisfaction in the well of Christ for having walked through the dark valley. We proceed through such because the Lord is our shepherd and thus we need not fear. His rod and His staff comfort us. The staff being used to guide, correct, bring back the sheep. The rod, basically a club to protect the sheep. Do you find the truth of God's discipline, His staff, to be a comfort? If not, I'm afraid it's not the shepherd you're about But his straw. The comfort of the sheep is not, He will give me all, but He will not let me fall from Him. He protects me with His rod from threats without, but not only so, prone to Lord prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. But here's why I don't fear. His staff comforts me. You see, this confidence psalm is not a self-confidence. It's a confidence that because the Lord is a shepherd, He shall not want. He will not fall because the shepherd will keep Him. At this point, David changes the metaphor from that of shepherd to host but he does so in a way that carries a kind of subtle narrative that underlies this poem, carries it forward, brings it to climax. And it also continues to answer the question, why Yahweh being his God, he doesn't lack. The host prepares a table before David, verse 5. So the same way that the shepherd makes to lie down in greed pastures and leaves beside still waters, the host prepares a table The feast is spread. None can spread a feast like our Lord. He makes water to flow from a rock. He gives manna as dew on the ground. He turns water into wine such that it's better wine than any other wine. He feeds a multitude with a few loaves. He prepares a table, and such a table, but He does so in the presence of enemies. In the same way, these green pastures lie on the other side of dark valleys. This feasting happens in the presence of enemies. But let's not look down on the table just because this is wilderness fair. Just because this isn't the great feast, the wedding feast, remember, this is actually our partaking of the future here and now. We have Christ, and having Christ, we have all. Our host anoints our head with oil, verse 5. This is not the anointing of a king. This is the anointing of hospitality. Jesus as the Christ is the anointed one of God. The christened one, the Christ. That's the meaning. He is our prophet, our priest, our king. Anointed by the Spirit in those offices. He speaks of this anointing of hospitality though in Luke 7. He was invited to the Pharisee's house. And whenever he came there, a woman, you remember, was anointing his feet. And the Pharisee was repulsed by this. If he knew who was touching his feet, he would not let her do this. Jesus said, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. You see, this is, this is all hospitality language. This is what would be normal and expected. You would wash their feet. They would be dirty and filthy. This is, this is the act of hospitality as one first enters your house. You gave me no water for my feet. She's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair, her glory. You gave me no kiss. Again, this act of hospitality and welcome but from the time I came in, she's not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil. She's anointed my feet with ointment. Anointing the head with oil was this refreshing, reviving kind of act of ancient hospitality. And our host does not fail to express such to such as we. Jesus deserved Such an act. We deserve nothing of the sort. And He serves us so. You remember on the night of His trial. As they are partaking of Passover. Our Lord sets aside His garments. Takes a towel. And washes the feet of His disciples. Who would so soon scatter. Strike the shepherd. And the sheep will scatter. And he washes them. Our host is not afraid of humility. We're told by John that he did this. Knowing that the father had given all things into his hands. That he had come from the father and was going to the father. Knowing he was supreme and above all. He stooped to serve. Jesus magnifies Himself. He magnifies His name, not by being served as though He were needy, but by serving because we are needy and He is all sufficient. Jesus said, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give His life as a ransom for many. John Piper writes his all sufficient glory and honor are displayed most by his working for us rather than our working for him the son of man has not come seeking employees he's come to employ himself for our good he serves us such that verse 5 our cup overflows You remember Jesus told the woman at the well, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Ultimately, Jesus gives him gives gives us Himself at this table. And in giving us Himself, He gives us all. We have no lack because the shepherd gives us the shepherd. We have no lack because the host is the fair. His broken body And his spilled blood reconciles us to the table of God. Meaning, we're reconciled to the God of the table. We have no lack. Our cup overflows, we are finite. He is infinite. David concludes giving a final summary statement of this confidence that swells and comes to climax using this host imagery. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. The word you have for mercy here is that rich Hebrew word hased, that no one English word does justice to. Most often, the ESV renders it steadfast love. Now, to understand that, you have to ask steadfast according to What? And the answer is his covenant. I think the best rendition we could do, the word, is his unfailing covenant love. Though we walk through dark valleys, though enemies surround us, he's with us. The shepherd leads us, the host Goodness and covenant mercy follow us. We have a shepherd before us leading us and we have a host behind us following us with goodness and covenant love. They'll follow us all the days of our life and on the other side of life, we shall dwell in the house of Yahweh forever. And now this house, this host imagery has been tied to the temple, but it's a temple that exists forever. What was it about the temple that so thrilled David's heart? In the 27th Psalm, David sings, One thing I have asked. You realize you're about to read what makes David content. If he has this one thing, he has it all. There's no lack. One thing I've asked of Yahweh. That will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of Yahweh all the days of my life. Why? To gaze upon the beauty of Yahweh and inquire in His temple. In the 63rd Psalm, He pleads, O God, You are my God. Earnestly I seek You. My soul thirsts. For you, my flesh faints, for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary. The place where you said, I will dwell among my people and I will set my name. The place where God's people draw near to him in covenant because of sacrifice. I will look there. I'm thirsty, I'm hungry for you. and I will look there. Beholding your power and glory because your steadfast love Your unfailing covenant love, your hesed, is better than life. In the opening of his confessions, Augustine penned, You stir man to take pleasure in praising you, because you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless till they find rest in thee. This is the pearl of the psalms, Spurgeon says, whose soft and pure radiance delight every eye. Of this delightful song it may be affirmed that its piety and its poetry are equal, its sweetness and its spirituality unsurpassed. Derek Kidner, ever the master of packed and potent commentary, says depth and strength underlie the simplicity of the psalm. Its peace is not escape, its contentment is not complacency. There is a readiness to face deep darkness and imminent attack, and the climax reveals a love which homes toward no material goal but to the Lord Himself. In this psalm, if we are stunned, may we be stunned with the shepherd himself. Let's not settle for a kind of sentimental appreciation Of what's expressed here. Just grabbing the emotion. But not understanding the one spoken of. Let's not read this. And appreciate it the way we might. Some some love poem. That another wrote about their beloved. You must read this. And adore the beloved David speaks of. You must be able to say. This is my shepherd. If you cannot say that. You lack. And you lack all. And you lack eternally. But if you can say. My shepherd, you shall not lack if you say that of the Christ, the chief shepherd, the good shepherd who laid down his life for mangy, flea infested, lost dead sheep to resurrect them and give them life. Believe on him, and he will bring you into his sheepfold. And you will have all in him in this life and in the green, lush paradise yet to come. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us to Christ. It is not of us. All thanks be to your sovereign grace. And thank you, Christ, for laying down your life for such lambs. And Spirit, for uniting us to such a shepherd. We have you, we have all. Blessed be your name. In that blessed name of Jesus we pray. Amen.